Welcome to the YA Cafe, where we share conversations about books for teachers, readers, and caffeine addicts everywhere. On today's episode, we'll be talking about The Gentleman's Guide to Vice and Virtue by Mackenzie Lee. Grab a mug of your favorite beverage, friends, and let's talk books. This podcast is made possible by Nouvelle ELA Teaching Resources. Find secondary ELA resources to engage and inspire, like Collaborative Bell Ringers. N-O-U-V-E-L-L-E-E-L-A. Something new. We're your hosts, Amanda Thrasher and Danielle Hall. As always, our first segment will be spoiler-free, and so you can stick around even if you haven't checked out the book yet. The Gentleman's Guide to Vice and Virtue by Mackenzie Lee presents a few months in the life of Henry Montague, our first-person narrator we grow to know as Monty. Monty, a consummate rake and rebel, embarks on his grand tour of Europe to get out all of his boyish tendencies before returning home to learn how to run his father's estate. Along on the tour are his best friend Percy and his younger sister Felicity. Monty's biggest hope for his tour is to act a bit on his impossible crush on Percy and indulge in some drinking, gambling, and escapading along the way. This book has it all. Highwaymen, pirates, and girls reading books. So, Amanda, what are your first thoughts on the novel? I liked it a lot. I thought it was a lot of fun. It was a romp. Yeah, it was just a romp. I thought that the characters were really engaging. They made a lot of bad choices, but you were definitely cheering for them anyway. I liked the pace of the novel. Uh, I thought it was just a really fun read. Me too. I really thought it was a great book. I would definitely describe it as a romp, and it ticked all of the boxes I have for loving a book. So the whole premise of this book is Monty going on this grand tour of Europe, and part of our uh, original disconnect and conflict comes from Monty has a very different idea of what this tour should be than his father. Monty thinks that this is his and Percy's last hurrah around the continent before Percy goes to law school in Holland, their last chance to party and celebrate together, and his father thinks that this is his time to build contacts and prepare himself and finally become an adult and get ready to manage this grand estate. So this is where we come into the novel, and Monty is disappointed to learn that his father has hired this bear leader who is this responsible adult that's supposed to go around with them and make sure that they go to various cultural events and meeting contacts and that sort of thing, and not the uh, drinking and carousing that Monty was hoping. And this is a pretty typical trip for young, wealthy men in Europe to undergo. So Monty is our first-person narrator in this novel, and I love Monty's voice. I never got bored with Monty. Uh, For example, at one point, Percy says, I don't think it's a good idea to go courting trouble, is all. And Monty says, we're not courting trouble, flirting with it at most. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great way of describing Monty kind of in a nutshell. He has this very flippant way of viewing the world around him. And he's not sarcastic necessarily, but he is very glib. And I think that's the best way I can describe Monty is that he's glib. And there are several things about his character that inform that. For one thing, Monty is queer in Europe in a time where it was illegal or frowned upon for him to be with men. Um, And so this kind of builds up all these shields and layers around him that he uses to protect himself from the world. But instead of using like very hard layers, he goes for something softer, something to protect himself without being mean, like a different kind of layer. You're right. These are like soft layers. Now, early on in the novel, they go to Paris and their chaperone has orchestrated all of these 
cultural events for them. Like they go to visit art museums and they go to operas and a lot of lectures and ways for them to improve themselves as young men. And these are opportunities that Monty has that his sister Felicity doesn't have. Yeah, but Monty hates it more than anything in the world. And Felicity is freaking out, desperately wanting to go to these things. (laughs) Exactly. Felicity really wants these things. And at one point she sneaks out And instead of going to party, she sneaks out to go to the lecture. That Monty didn't go to because he wanted to go get drunk. (laughs) (laughs) And Monty perceives that Felicity is getting what she wants because at the end of the tour, she will be going to finishing school. But finishing school would have been more etiquette and things like that and really not the academic caliber of the opportunities that Monty has been given. Yeah, that's really true. And uh, even though Monty has had these opportunities, though, he uh, he really doesn't want them. So the school and all of the cultural learning and all of these sorts of things, all of the, these things aren't for his own betterment. They're to mold him into fitting this role that he has no interest in whatsoever. So they're the things to follow in his father's footsteps and manage this grand estate. But he has no interest in those things whatsoever. He despises its father, so the last thing he wants to do is spend more time with him learning about the estate. And, I mean, he has a very complicated relationship with his mother as well, but that's gone into much less. So I really liked that in this book, it made it clear that even though Monty does have all these opportunities that Felicity does not, because he's the son, that doesn't necessarily mean that he's had an easy life. Like, he still has all of these difficulties with his father and his mother, and just that line between what's societally available to him and the actualities of what makes life worth living. I thought it was really well done. Another thing that's brought up in this novel is that Percy is the illegitimate child of this highborn English lord and a woman from the West Indies. He is brought back to England to be raised in his father's family And this novel kind of explores what it means for him to be a highborn son, but a person of color. Yeah, like it's clear that there is a different place in society for Percy than Monty, because Monty is white, obviously, so he has all these opportunities. But there's also that difference between Percy and the other people of color in the novel, who are mostly in the beginning present as like these servants who are there working. And so he has more opportunities than them in a lot of respects. So there is still that that stratification of society, even beyond just Monty's white and Percy is a person of color and how that plays out. I really loved this party that they go to in Paris. It's at Versailles, so we get some of that 1720s Versailles. Louis Seventeenth is like a sick boy king. And this is a really important moment. It's the first time we get to see Monty have some drunken escapades. And we see a lot of things that help us learn about these characters And then, of course, Monty gets into trouble, and that starts the rest of the novel. Yeah, this is, I think, the first time you really see how Monty's rebelliousness and drunkenness uh, really negatively impacts his life and the lives of the people around him, like the people that care about him. Like, it's funny, and it's fun to read, and it's a good romp and all of that, but it also is deeply destructive behavior, and you can really see the wreckage that it leaves behind. And this is the first time that we see that in the novel. So... I really enjoyed this moment where Monty has an escapade and ends up naked. And as he's running through this Versailles party naked, Percy and Felicity both call him on his behavior. And Felicity says, how dare you run away from her? She's going to get a lot of abuse and flack now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Felicity knows what's up. Mm -hmm. 
And Percy says, do you think I would have ever gotten away with that? So Monty is confronted with the differences in his opportunities and status and the differences with how society perceives him in this moment versus Percy. Absolutely. And I think that it does inform the way that he behaves the rest of the novel. And with that, friends, we'll take our first break. When we come back, we'll share about things we like a latte. Then we'll return to our Gentleman's Guide discussion and dig a little deeper. Welcome back, y'all. It's time for Things We Like a Latte. Danielle, what is your brew of choice this week? It is Harry Potter Yoga. Tell me more. Tell me more. (laughs) We went to Pensacon this week, and that's Pensacola's Comic-Con, for those of you playing along at home. And one of the sessions that I went to was Harry Potter Yoga. And it was like regular yoga, but infused with an awesome storytelling that was a Harry Potter adventure. And all of the things were regular yoga poses, you know, like boat pose or like downward facing dog, but they were transformed into riding a broomstick and doing the pad foot, you know, and, and you had this, I know we have a puppy named Padfoot. And he's, he's perfect. <laughs> that's, that's neither here nor there. And it was just a really fun storytelling experience that was so great for yogis of all ages and all levels of skill and it was awesome that sounds great i'm really sorry that i missed it and how about you amanda what's your brew of choice so mine this week is a television show that just released its third season on netflix it's called crazy ex-girlfriend i love it so much Uh, If you have ever heard the name of this show and thought, meh, I don't know, that title sounds maybe a little sexist, I'm not into it, I am here to promise you that this show is directly geared towards you. You are absolutely the target audience. Uh, The premise of the show is that she is a high-powered lawyer in New York City who sees her high school boyfriend from summer camp and decides to move across the country to try to be with him and... It's a musical comedy. She develops this new life out in West Covina, California. West Uh, Covina. California. It is delightful. I cannot recommend it enough. I absolutely love it. The songs are incredibly clever, really well written. The whole show is just really well done. It does great things with mental illness and musical satire. And I just... I just adore it. It's a wonderful show. Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. You can see all three seasons now on Netflix. And thank you so much for recommending that show to me and making me watch it. Because I love it too. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll return to our discussion of The Gentleman's Guide of Vice and Virtue. And the rest of the show may contain spoilers. So if you're leaving us here, please keep in touch on Instagram and Twitter at YA Cafe Podcast. And if you're a teacher or a librarian and you want to know more about this book for an education setting, check out ideas at teachnouvelle.com slash YA Cafe Podcast. We'll be back after this quick break. Do you have a product you'd like to get in front of teachers, librarians, and other book lovers? If so, email us at yacafepodcast at gmail.com. Welcome back, y'all. We're continuing our discussion on The Gentleman's Guide to Vice and Virtue by Mackenzie Lee. If you haven't read this yet, we want to warn you again that this segment will contain spoilers, so turn back now. 
because here there be pirates. Okay, well, let's jump in by talking about pirates. <laughs> I'm a sucker for pirates, but these are not just any pirates, folks. These are good pirates. Eh, I mean, they're not, though, right? That's the thing. They're not very good at being pirates. They're bad pirates. They're terrible pirates, but they have good hearts. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, so at the end of the novel, we do have this section that takes place on a pirate ship. And, yeah, they're terrible pirates with a good heart. And it's, it's a lot of fun how they encounter these pirates and getting to see their interactions with them. One of the things that I really liked was that this pirate crew is all people of color. So Monty has this experience of watching Percy with all these people who look like him and being able to relax and he suddenly realizes that Percy has often been the only person of color in the room or at the very least the only person of color who wasn't like in a serving capacity and just seeing the ability that being around this crew gave Percy to relax uh, in a way that other parts of his life had not even with his family I thought that was a really cool piece of self-awareness from Monty and like a good chance for him to see more of the world outside himself I agree I really loved that awareness and the whole thing so One of the conflicts that comes to the surface during this book is that Percy has epilepsy. And this is a really interesting twist because Monty discovers that Percy is not, in fact, going to law school in Holland, but is about to be institutionalized for his epilepsy. His family has quote-unquote tried everything, and now they're sending him to an institution. And Monty's initial reaction is that he absolutely must find a cure that Percy hasn't thought of yet. And he wants to fix Percy. Yeah, I I think that's a really interesting part because it's definitely a piece of Monty's character development. So like in the very beginning of the book, Monty is a self-obsessed creature, let's say. Uh, He's very wrapped up in his own life and his own troubles and his problems with his father. And he doesn't want to look outside himself. So when he discovers Percy's epilepsy and this impending commitment to this asylum in Holland, this is kind of the first step of Monty really expanding his bubble outside himself, but he doesn't do it in a very good way. So like instead of actually listening to what Percy wants, he's so focused on what he wants from Percy that it's still like a really shallow way of caring about someone else. Mm -hmm. Um, And I thought this was a really good step in his character development for being completely self-absorbed as he was in the beginning to being self-absorbed with this other person until it got to the point where he could finally acknowledge that he wasn't trying to give Percy what Percy needed or wanted. And so that made that that ultimate growth of Monty into a more uh, conscientious, I guess, person a lot more satisfying. And a major round of applause for Felicity, who understood the whole time that Monty, in his self-absorption, was not giving Percy what he wanted. Felicity was constantly checking in with Percy, like, is this what you want? And I love this quote from Percy where he says, I don't think I should be locked up, and I don't think I need to be cured of it for my life to be good. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I also loved Felicity and Felicity's character arc in this novel. What did you think of her, Amanda? I I liked her too. I mean, she still had a lot of flaws, obviously, but she was still raised in that bubble that Monty was in a lot of ways. So, like, she still had a lot of those same flaws that Monty did. There was a lot that she didn't understand about the world. Uh, but we, we saw less of that from her than she did Monty's. And she's better than Monty, but, you know. So Felicity does spend a lot of time, not necessarily off screen in this book, but minimized because it's from Monty's perspective. And at one point, she wants to be included in the schemes to solve this problem with the Duke of Bourbon. And the boys are not including her. And she finally says, fine, don't include me. Perhaps I'll scheme on my own then. 
And we start to see that Felicity has this life outside of the pages that we're seeing. And I'll just point out here that there is a second book in this world coming soon. It's called Petticoats and Piracy, and it will be out in October, and it's about Felicity. Yeah, and uh, if you hate series, I'm I'm here to ease your worries. This book is completely standalone, and it is completely satisfying. You don't need to worry about Petticoats and Piracy if you're not interested, but uh, after you read Gentleman's Guide, I feel like you're probably going to be interested, so don't let it scare you away. <laughs> and they are two books that take place in the same world, but they're not necessarily linked otherwise. I don't even know if Percy and Monty are going to make an appearance. Um, so, Danielle, you really liked this a lot, so what was your favorite part, do you think? I don't know if I would say it's my favorite part, but it's definitely a scene that I'm never going to forget. So there's this part where the Scooby gang is down on their luck and they need some money, but, you know, they got robbed by highwaymen. So they have no notes from their father saying that they can get money. So they have to go to the bank and just find a different way. And in the scene at the bank, Monty is able to flirt with the bank clerk in a way that I found really refreshing and amazing because he's able to weaponize his sexuality which up to that point has been something that's been used against him but now he's able to use it to help himself yeah also I really liked with that scene it's like the first time that Monty really made himself useful like he started all of the problems and everything I mean but from here he makes himself useful several times in the novel but like he's been abused by his father he's in this very homophobic world so he doesn't have a lot of self-esteem like he has a lot of cockiness but that's not the same thing and I really liked that this scene was the first time that he helped out a lot so it was nice nice to see him be effective I absolutely agree And it was so good to see him finally be useful in this way, as opposed to Felicity, who was useful from the beginning. Yeah, Felicity was great. And I I really liked her. But I I didn't mention that she was in that same bubble as Monty. She's better than Monty in a lot of ways because she's done a lot of reading. She's a little more aware of the world. But she still has these moments. So the biggest thing I got from Felicity that she's still in this bubble that Monty is... There's this moment when they're trying to get on board a ship and Felicity booked a passage with his bosun's mate and she brought Monty and Percy and the guy was like, no, we're not taking them. And Felicity's like, I told you there were three of us. And the bosun's mate said, yeah, but I'm not taking the black guy. So Felicity is really mad, obviously, as she should be. Then after they're, they're turned away, Percy says, I'm really sorry. And Felicity was like, no, no, it's fine. And Percy says, no, no, I'm really sorry. And Felicity's like, don't worry about it. But that's not enough, you know? Like, clearly, Percy has nothing to be sorry about. Felicity dropped the ball on this one. And, it, like, it's a stressful situation. She's a white girl growing up in England. Like, she's not going to be aware of all of these things. Yeah, so I thought that it made total sense for her character. But it was it was definitely her, her low point in the novel for me. I also wanted more from Felicity. But I think that one of the reasons why I wanted more from her was because she was the main woman in the novel. And she was really carrying all of our expectations for all of the women in the novel. And you know how difficult it can be to allow the only woman or the girl in the novel to have any sort of flaws because they end up representing everyone. Right. And I think that's that's often the case with any marginalized group that you have portrayed. Like, so this is one of the many great strengths of Black Panther. Like, you don't have to worry if you have a a sassy black character uh, because there's all these other black characters. So it's not like you only had one person who is the stereotype you have all these examples of what it is to be human and be black so the weight of representation is not 
just on like one character's shoulders. Ah, uh, this was a total missed opportunity for my things we like a latte. I should have said Black Panther. I liked Black Panther yeah. a latte. Everybody liked Black Panther a latte, but nobody's heard of Harry Potter yoga, so I still feel like this was a strong choice. Thank you. I know. I'm here to support you. So can we talk about the beautiful, sweeping love story between Percy and Monty? Yes. Uh, it was so wonderful. I love them. <laughs> so I normally I normally despise spoilers. Like, I like going into a book completely raw. Uh, but I started reading this, and I think I got, like, two chapters into it, and I was like, Danielle, she'd read it before me. And so I said, okay, they get together, right? Because I don't want to read the rest of the book if they don't get together. And I told I to... her the spoiler with permission. Yeah, I needed it. I was like, I cannot read a s- another story of gay heartbreak. I just need this to be squishy. And it was. It was squishy. And I really liked that the heartbreak was not between Percy and Monty. You had hard moments where Monty was getting abused and you had other hard moments where things were happening to them. But they weren't suffering from the same miscommunication as a lot of stories. I mean, they still they still had their miscommunications, though. Like, like the whole time after that first scene when they had a kiss in Paris, and then they both were just misreading the other person's intentions and desires. And then that led to their difficulty getting to better and making it a little bit of a will they or won't they, but also making it pretty clear that it was going to be a... They, they will! <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I still had to know before I read anymore because I am a coward. <laughs> I think that one of the things that was a barrier to them in terms of reading the other person for the sincerity of their reactions was because they knew each other so well. And they just assumed that what they thought the other person was thinking was what the other person was thinking. Huh. Yeah, I I really loved their love story, and I'm almost never a fan of romance. And throughout this, I was just cheering for these two crazy kids to get together, and I just thought that she did such a good job of making me emotionally invested in this relationship, even though typically I don't care about romance. And I am a big fan of romance, and I read this amidst a slew of not good historical romances, so I really enjoyed this romp. And that's our show for today, friends. Remember, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at YA Cafe Podcast. We're always looking for new book recommendations and guests, so definitely reach out. And if you're a teacher, you can find even more book reviews for educators at teachnouvelle.com. Happy reading!